0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we have in our Old Testament reading this morning, the very first words of Scripture, words with which we are all hopefully familiar. Even non-Christians would recognize this passage as much as they would scoff at what is being taught and asserted. There are two fundamental teachings that are being set forth here that we must believe. The first is that God created everything, ex nihilo, out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see here that time itself did not exist. Get your head around that one. Time would be something, wouldn't it? But no, time did not exist. In the beginning, God. Before time came into existence and nothing was, all that existed was God. And upon the act of creation, time begins. There were no raw materials for God to work with. There were no particles floating around in the in the vast expanse of nothingness that he could take and then order and arrange according to his specifications. There was simply nothing. It's hard to imagine. You can't imagine it. If I told you to imagine nothing, all of a sudden what appears into your mind is something. There was nothing. There was only God. And this God who calls into existence the things that do not exist brought forth the raw materials themselves with which he was going to create the entire universe. All was chaos and darkness. And there the Spirit of God hovered over the waters ready to bring forth life because God was just getting started. So the first teaching here is that God created everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Everything out of nothing. And the second here is that he created through his word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So we learn from these verses the how of creation. God spoke, and it was. Hebrews chapter 11 says, the world was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of visible things. And just as God called everything into existence through his word, he then began to order everything by that same word. As the light that he created, he called day and the darkness he called night. So to recap, God created everything out of nothing by his all-powerful word. I'm not giving you any innovative teaching here. I'm giving you Christianity 101. God created everything out of nothing by his all-powerful word. He formed the raw materials with which he would go on to create all the content of existence, everything that would exist in time and space. And the Holy Spirit, we see there, he brooded over the darkness of the waters and he welcomed the light which pierced the darkness, beaming forth to bring order to all the chaos. And that was just day one. Not bad for the first day on the job, eh? In fact, it was good. The light was good because it would illuminate everything that God would create under the sun, all of which would be called good. Day one, it was the perfect beginning. Everything was as it needed to be because God was going somewhere with all of this. He had something special in mind, not just mindless material existence, but something that would stand as the crown of his creation. In chapter 2, Genesis, we find out who all of this was for. You and me. Humankind. Beginning with Adam and Eve. Since day one, God had planned to be in loving fellowship with us. As the timeless one, he did not need time. As the immaterial God, he did not need space. But he created them both so that he may fill them and that he may order them just right. For what? Also, that he may live here with us and share in his perfect love. You know, atheists and agnostics make fun of Christians for, for believing that out of the incomprehensibly large and near, infinite vastness of space that god would so love these tiny creatures on this tiny speck of dirt and water and to that we say i know isn't that awesome david said in psalm 8 when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him So God's day one plan was for us to live with him in a loving relationship that is ordered according to his word and according to his good design. We were created out of nothing. Well, Adam and Eve were created out of nothing. Well, Adam was created out of nothing, right? And then everything else is derivative. Eve created from his side and then you and I from our parents and their parents and their parents. But you get the idea. All the raw materials were there. God created the raw materials out of nothing. And that means that we, by nature, are dependent. We are dependent. As much as we pretend that we are self-made and we are self-sufficient, at least we live that way, then the truth is the truth is, is that we are dependent, which means we have very little agency or choice in most of what we do. We didn't decide to come into being. Did you decide to be born? No. It was a decision that was made for you. You didn't decide to exist. it is a gift given to you. It was decided for us by a loving God through the agency of our parents and their parents ad infinitum all the way back to the garden. So we are dependent. We are dependent upon God for our very existence and for everything good. And at the start, at the beginning of the scriptures, our first parents lived within this good arrangement with fear, love, and trust in God. But we know how long that lasted. Just two pages in the Bible. And then the serpent tempted Eve with the prospect that, get this, perhaps she did not need to be dependent on God she did not need this good and orderly arrangement, and perhaps that arrangement needed an upgrade. And so when she and her husband ate the fruit, their fear, love, and trust were no longer in God's all-sufficient, all-powerful, creative word which called everything into existence. Now, because of sin, they would look anywhere else to receive everything good. But they would only be met with the curse of sin and death. Now, because they had cut themselves off from the life-giving source of God's word, they would die, both spiritually and physically. And as dependent creatures, there's nothing that they could do about it. they were not there on day one to help God call everything into existence. They certainly could not help him with this problem of sin, which has brought death to all men, including you and I, and it has corrupted everything that God has made good. So that's where we are. We find ourselves under the curse of this helpless Condition and there is nothing we can do about it. We, we, by nature, put our fear, love, and trust in anything and everything except the God who called into existence everything that is. There's G.K. Chesterton, that old Roman Catholic theolo- uh, apologist, theologian, who said that, uh, that the trouble with not having God is not that you believe in nothing, The problem with not having God as the object of your faith is that you believe in everything else. And since we fell in the garden, that has been our condition. We put our fear, love, and trust in everything else. There is a God-sized vacuum that exists within the human heart, and it must be filled with something. It's either going to be filled with the God who brought everything into existence, the God of creation and the God of salvation, or it's going to be filled with a false God. We daily sin much because of this condition. So it's this condition we live with, but it also manifests itself in our outward actions. We daily sin much and we are deserving of nothing but punishment and wrath, as the catechism teaches us. And scripture says that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness and it has thrown our lives into formless chaos. No order No dependency upon the God who loves us. And we cannot will ourselves out of it. There is no willing ourselves out of this condition. There is no pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and deciding to live a better life. As a matter of fact, we, like our first parents, flee from God's presence and we hide in the darkness because we know that we must answer for our sins. If he shines his light upon us, the light which pierced the darkness on day one, if he shines that light on us and sees what we've done, we are done for. So it looks like you're out of options. You can try to perform some kind of good work, some act of the will that will get God to look past your sins. You can decide to clean yourself up and you can decide to invite Christ into your heart. You can say the sinner's prayer in hopes that it will work this time. And perhaps these are the raw materials that you can bring to God's table so that he can do something with them, that he can work with them, but you already know how that's going to go. You know that there's no work that you can perform that will make you acceptable to God. You know that in and of yourself, there is nothing that you can bring to the table. Not your faithfulness, not your decision to follow him, not your willingness to submit to him. It's all shifting sand. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Or here's the other way you can do it. You can move on in your life pretending that the God who created you does not exist. And therefore, you won't be called into account for fearing, loving, and trusting in everything else except for him. You can push him away. You can invent new theories as to how everything came to be. And you can pretend that you can order your life towards what is good based on your own subjective definition of what good is. But deep down, you know that this only leads to sin and death. You know that that way lies chaos. We have only to look at the culture at large to know that this is the case. And you know that God will not not stop coming after you with his all-powerful word as it shines upon you and reveals you are only worthy of death and damnation. Friends, you are out of options. There is nothing that you can do. So, It looks like God has nothing to work with. But that's exactly what he's best at. If we look at our passage in Genesis, we see that it was God's intention from day one, not only to create us for loving fellowship with himself, but to create us anew when our sins made that impossible. God spoke forth his word and the light pierced the darkness as the holy spirit hovered over the waters of creation. God's word brought everything into order. But sin and death threatened to undo all of it. It threw all into chaos and disorder, but now now through water God is doing something new. He is bringing it all back into order. He is recreating us for loving fellowship with himself, for a new day one, for a day of everlasting life. In the waters of holy baptism, God speaks forth his word of promise and calls into existence something out of nothing. There in those waters... He takes stone dead sinners who cannot do anything for themselves on account of being dead in sins. And he gives the new birth of water and the spirit. He takes the heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh to the same spirit who once hovered over the waters of creation, but now hovers over the waters of new creation. God does not leave us in the darkness of sin and death, but he pierces it with his all-powerful word, which he has spoken over you to reorder your life as his beloved child. You brought nothing to those waters except your sin and your guilt. But he has taken them away. And out of nothing, he has made you into something new. He has made you into a new creature who fears, loves, and trusts in God above all things. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, you might say, that's just tap water that the altar guild poured in there right before the service. And that's true. Thanks, Gwen. By the way, the temperature was perfect. True. It is plain water. But when it's combined with God's word, it is a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. You see, through baptism, you now have something to trust. Not your works, not your self-willed existence, but God's all-powerful word through which he has granted you faith and has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Through this water connected to God's word, he has said, you are mine. I have lifted you from the nothingness of sin and death. I have restored you to the status that I have desired for you since day one, loving fellowship with myself. And should you doubt your baptism, consider Jesus. Consider the word made flesh who stepped down into the Jordan. He did not come to be baptized to have his sins forgiven, for he had none. He did not come to be restored with, to, to fellowship with the Father because he already had it. He came to give your baptism its power. He was baptized so that what was said of him at his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That would be said of you. That is what God has said of Fernando today. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased for the sake of Christ, who stepped down into those waters for him. Jesus received the Holy Spirit at his baptism so that you would. He connected his baptism to his death and resurrection so that you, through your baptism, would die to sins and walk in the newness of life. Out of nothing, a new day, one, has come. A day in which we walk in loving fellowship with God our Father, and he has called it good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,